0: We're continuing our study in the book of First Timothy. So grab your Bible with me and go to First Timothy. And We're going to be in chapter six, chapter six of First Timothy. Last week, um, as we gathered in the fellowship hall, last week we saw Paul telling Timothy. Now, if you don't know this, this book was written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, who is the pastor of a church, and so he's writing First and Second Timothy. To a gentleman named Timothy. And he's a pastor. And so Paul is writing these things to him. This is how the church should operate. This is why we do what we do. And this is these are the, the rules and the regulations. And the freedoms and the joys and the beauties that we have as the church. And so last week Paul wrote to Timothy. And tells him to make sure that Christians in the church understood. That work was something that came from God. Work was not a pre- or post-fall institution. Work was a pre-fall. God instituted work in the garden during man's innocence. When sin was not involved, God introduced work, told Adam, go tend, cultivate, work the garden. And he was in a perfect environment. So work is not a post-fall institution. It was a pre-fall institution institution put together by God. So he says, Christians should work, work hard as unto the Lord. And why do we work? So that Christ and his name are not reviled by the pagan culture. So Christians should be the best employees ever. Not because the boss is looking, but because the boss is looking. So, this week, we're going to continue our study in First Timothy. We're going to be in chapter 3. Um, we'll see how far we get. Once, once again, it's not that I can't preach fast enough. It's that you guys can't listen fast enough. So that's... There's, this, we live in a no-fault society, right? So that's that's my, my quip for the morning. So this week, Paul tells Timothy something has to be done. We've got to be paying attention. We're going to start in verse 3. And he says this, If anyone teaches or advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions, disputes about words, out of which arrive, arrive, or arise envy, strife, abusive language, and evil suspicions. Let's pray, Father. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the application of it. We thank you for the power of it, God. I pray that I would step aside this morning, and that your Holy Spirit would intervene and it would permeate this place, and that men and women would hear from you and not from me. Would hear from your text and not from me, God. Help me as I am unable to relay any spiritual truth without your direct help. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're called here in the text, and this is an overwhelming theme all throughout the text. And when I say the text, I mean the scriptures. God is constantly telling his people, look out for false doctrines. Look out for false Teachers. Watch out for preachers and teachers that teach things that don't line up, that don't link up with what Christ has laid out in His Word. Men and women who get up and say things that don't align with the text, that don't align with sound biblical doctrine, and we really do have to be careful as sometimes the stuff that's taught behind these sacred desks can sound very attractive and it maybe strokes our ego a little bit. It makes us feel like it's the right thing. Scripture tells us that there's a way that seems right unto man, but ends ends up leading to death. So this is not something new. This is something that's gone on throughout the entire text and, and, these things maybe sound good, but there's a little bit of poison mixed in. That's rat, rat poison. Is if you look at the ingredients, a lot of it's food, like food that rats could eat. But there's just a little bit of poison sprinkled in that will bring death. Jesus in Matthew chapter seven verse fifteen, he says, "Beware of the false prophets who come in to you in sheep's clothing. They want to look the part because what? It, remember what are we called? What's the scripture call us?" We're, we're sheep, so the false teachers come in, looking like they're one of us, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. And what does a wolf want to do to a sheep? Destroy it. Why are they? Why are we called to beware of these types of men? Well, verse four and five tell us he's conceited and understands nothing, but he is. He has has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, and evil suspicions. And constant friction between men and women of 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 depraved minds and depraved of truth, deprived of truth. Who suppress the, that God And they suppose that godliness is a means for gain. So they, these men come in and they, they try to sprinkle up these fancy words. They're, they're, they're fancy motivational speakers. And they look good. They've got the right lighting. They've got the right setup. They've got the right speech practice. They've got all these things ready. And they say that, listen, just sow that seed money into the ministry. You want to you wanna get a blessing from the Lord? We need to sow your seed. They they suppose that godliness is a means for gain. So in other words, they are going to use language that stirs men and women up in the hopes of getting money out of these people who listen to their controversial messages. Their messages that don't align with the scriptures. That's the reason it's called controversial. It's because it doesn't align with the text. It doesn't align with the scriptures. And they try to twist it and make it look like it's a normal thing. There's a a large list of men and women who get up every week and teach outrageous doctrines. And they're either a faith-based healing group or a faith-based fundraising group. They talk about in-time stuff to try to stir up people to to give to their ministries. They, They try to Stoke fears in men and women's hearts. Jim Baker, he's on. T- I'm not listen. I'm a preacher that I'll, I'll name names. I don't care. Jim Baker, who has the television show out of Branson, Missouri, and he's always selling buckets of food. And we're we're on the edge of the precipice of the apocalypse at all times. So you need to send in ninety nine ninety nine. You can get yourself a bucket of food. You can just uh, just send it in. that see. All the while living lavishly on the dimes of men and women you got other guys like Creflo Dollar and Jesse Duplantis who brag about God giving them the money. God's going to give me the money to pay for a $65 million jet, and you're going to be the one that helps fund it. And these people in the room are going, yeah. I'm like, wait, what? Wait, hold on. I'm funding the $65 million? Listen, i got a Prius that barely gets any gas mileage. Jesse Duplantis was walking around on his, and the, the set of his church's TV ministry is just insane. He's walking around just scooting across this fancy thing telling people he's got the biggest mansion in the state of Louisiana. Telling people, I mean, bragging about this stuff. This is, this is what we're talking about here. Beware of these types of men who try to push out godliness as a means for gain. These men who are the prosperity gospel, that listen, this is is the prosperity gospel. Jesus died on the cross, not to forgive you of your sins, but so you can live healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. That's what they teach. And that is a heretical, damnable, evil message. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ for the sins of those that would believe. Christ died on the cross to redeem and to reconcile you and set you free from sin, not to fill your bank account. Sorry, stick to the notes, Caleb. But these men, they have flashy language to make the people, and especially in America, listen, we're trying to export this stuff to Africa, but it's a little bit difficult there. But in America, we got, listen, story after story after story. There's a horrific story that John MacArthur tells of Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn's the big faith healer guy that's on TV. And my wife busted out laughing as we're driving to church this morning. And I said, what's wrong? She shows me a meme. She goes, it's National Benny Hinn Day. We fall back. Oh my if you've ever seen that television show, you know what he does. So, But there was a woman who brought her, I'm sorry, a man, it's a father, brought his, packed his dead baby on ice. Brought this dead baby on ice to a Benny Hinn healing conference believed that God was going to raise this dead baby and his goons ushered him out and threw him out of the arena and said, don't come back in here. Like, that's wicked. That's evil. That is so horrible. And so we've got these men who stand on these flashy stages and use this flashy language to try to tell men and women in order to be godly, in fact, I heard I, I met someone this last week who told me that they were they'd gotten out of the, char, the 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 ultra crazy charismatic movement because they had a family member that had a kid that died and the pastor said it's your fault parents because you didn't have enough faith. I met someone this week who told me that. That breaks my heart. Because that is not the gospel. Here's here's the bottom line. You might get healed, but you might die. And at the end of the day, if you're a Christian, you get Jesus and he's more than enough. You get Christ and he's more than enough. And so we see the opposite of the coin in verse 6. But godliness... Actually, is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Contentment. So we see in verse 6 here that the idea of godliness in and of itself is the ultimate reward. Christ and Christ alone, you get godly character. Jesus stirs up your affections for Him. He becomes the King of your heart and your life. And godliness g- growing into a Christ-likeness, that's the ultimate reward. And you're content with him. Jesus, if, I, if I'm wealthy, glory to God. If I'm dead broke, glory to God. That doesn't My social status, my bank account, does not determine whether or not Christ is king. Christ is king regardless. Having a heart that longs for and pursues God alone is the greatest value in this life, as well as the life to come. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, Never will I leave you, nor will I forsake you. Oh! You get God, and He's more than enough. In other words, that the trap of loving money is going to drop you flat on your face and never gonna satisfy you. And listen. There's never enough money, amen. amen? I've never met anybody that, you know what, I don't need anymore. Warren Buffett. Billionaire. How much is enough, Warren? Just one more. Just one more. And that was my dad's saying when it came to guns. Amen. <laughs> How many guns is enough, Edgar? Just one more. Yeah. You can't get enough, right? <laughs> so this is the idea, is, is that, be careful of the trap of money because you're never. it's never going to satisfy you. It's never going to satisfy you, but God will be the one who truly brings you lasting satisfaction in this life and the life to come. So the primary goal for you and I, as Christ followers, is to pursue godliness first and foremost. And if God chooses to bless you financially, awesome. But listen, if God... There's too many times where people, oh, I've got to just give me that new swanky boat. If God had just get me that RV. If God had just get me that vacation home. If God had just give me that big job with the big promotion, with the big paycheck, then I'd be faithful. Would you, though? If you're not faithful in the small things, Why would you be faithful in the big things? And oftentimes, those things we get, they'll pull us in a different direction. We'll get to that in a minute. But I love this quote from Matt Chandler. He says, Open-handed, I will say, all is yours. If it's poverty, if it's nothing, praise the Lord. Open-handed, I will trust Him to provide everything I need to be all that He has asked me to be. Either way, I'm good. It's not, a, it's not a matter of what befalls me, good or bad. It doesn't matter if anyone loves me or if everyone hates me. It does not matter if I'm healthy or sick. It does not matter if everything works out like it, like I want it to work out. Or if nothing works out, I have Learn to be content in everything. I've learned it from God's word, and I have learned that it is God's providence that holds me. That that's that's great. Philippians chapter four verses eleven through thirteen says, "Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation." This is Paul writing this. I've learned in whatever situation I am content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to be. Brought up in abounded. I know how to abound. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and facing hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, here's what we tend to do. We take that verse out of absolute ridiculous context. That is one of the most ill-used verses in all the world. We, We... we try to take that verse and oh, I'm going to make all right, my business is going to go through the roof. Christ. All right. I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to make my business. Awesome. I can do all things, but in context, it says this, if I'm rich, or if I'm dead broke, I've learned that Christ is the one who is my foundation and my strength. So I'm content in this life because I get Jesus and he is the one that is enough for me. Alright, back to First Timothy. Verse 7 of First Timothy 6. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. Listen, I saw a joke picture, but in reality, there's not a U-Haul behind a hearse. Now, I've seen people try to be funny and they make that a funny thing. But I've never in reality seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. You came into the world naked, you're going out. Same way. You're not going to get it all. Here's the thing. If you go flat broke, if everything does not work out, it's okay because I don't take anything with me when I die. Everything I own. Now listen, everything I own is either going to be in a garage sale or an estate sale or a dump. Someone else is eventually going to drive my car, live in my house, wear my clothes. And if I live open handed, understanding that Christ is the source of everything I have, then I'm going to be content. If I know that Christ is the one who is the foundation, I'm content to abound or abase. If I'm abounding in riches, I'm content because I know Christ is the one who gives it to me. one One of the men in my life for the last 14 years was a guy named John Bond. He owned the company that I worked for for the longest time. He was the founder. Multimillionaire lived incredibly open-handed and he acc- attributed every dime he ever made was this is in fact he put up billboards all through Bartlesville that said regardless those that have been in Bartlesville you see those signs regardless of the price of oil regardless jesus save jesus is lord jesus christ right he, he said i want to attribute everything i have When the business is going low, when the business is on high, Christ is more than enough. Regardless of what happens in this life, Jesus Christ has my present and future. Christ is enough. Christ is enough. So there should be a longing to have more of God and not more stuff or more money. Now, I'm not the guy that stands up here and says, hey, money's evil. You shouldn't have. Listen. If we stacked this room full of $100 bills... I mean, we started in one corner and stacked it to the roof. all The entire roof. Nothing. And we closed the door and locked it. Nothing would take place with those... Those dollar bills would not be over there in the corners going, Alright, it's time, guys. <laughs> they just sit here. It's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the What? love of money. That's that's what the text says. The love of money is the root of all evil. Not, not the money itself. So the longing should be, I want more of God. I want more of Christ's likeness in me than I want stuff. And listen, as I watched my father and mother pass away and we went through their estate sale and did all the stuff and I, I watched... And the reality, of of the crushing reality of watching during the estate sale. I was standing... And people tell you, you shouldn't go to your parents' estate sale. I know why. I know why. Now? Watching people pilfer through my mom's and dad's stuff and try and close on. And I'm just like, that was dad's jacket. That was mom's shirt. That was dad's gun. That was... I mean, just seeing all that and I'm just like... And the reality came into my head we're not taking any of it with us. It's all going away. And so, mom and dad's desire was not to get more stuff, but it was to have more of God in them because they knew that the future is a long... Eternity is a long time. Amen? Amen. Eternity is a long time. And how often has our material possession, possessions caused us to ignore God's calling in our life? Rather than enhancing our calling... It's it's detracted from our calling. God, give me that bigger bank account. God, give me that boat. God, give me that vacation home, or whatever it is. If you get those things, oftentimes they draw you away from Christ, not closer to Him. People say, well, Caleb, I can worship the Lord at the lake. You can. But nine times out of ten, you're not going to. Well, I I could enjoy creation... Well, this is, listen to this. This is John Owen. He's a theologian that's smarter than me. He says, forsaking of church assemblies is usually the entrance into apostasy. My dad once said that when someone drops out of church, there's usually sin in the camp somewhere because darkness does not want to have fellowship with light. And if the things that you own are causing you to forsake the assembling together with the saints, I would call you to get rid of the stumbling blocks for your own blessing and ultimate growth. Temporary material things will never satisfy you. Now, I'm not the guy up here saying, you know what, you need to be broke, dead broke, and get rid of all your stuff. That's not me. I'm not that guy. I'm not the guy says... Because there are certain people who teach... In order to be godly, you've got to be dead broke. And I think that's a horrible misconception. Just as bad as the prosperity gospel. It's, it's just on one end of this pendulum to the other end. I, I'm not saying you have to get rid of all your things. I'm simply saying you master your stuff. Don't let your stuff master you. Alright, let's finish up. And in closing. That means I've got another 40 minutes, right? Is that... But if, verse 8, starting in verse 8. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich will fall into temptation, into the snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have already wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with the pangs. This also means pangs means sorrows or griefs. Money isn't evil. Stuff isn't evil. It's the desire to have things. James chapter 4 tells us that we we ask, we we long for certain things, and because we can't have it, we go kill somebody to get it. That, that's it is a horrific thing. The desire to have something that you don't have. And so you, you drain every ounce of your abilities and resources to try to get the thing. The love of, the desire of these things is what's causing people to do wicked and horrible things. Um, I just watched Killers of the Flower Moon this last, I don't know, a week ago. Was that, Jamie, was that two weeks ago? So, our daughter was in, uh, helped in the movie. It wasn't in the actual movie, but she was the COVID swabbing nurse for the actors. So, she got to COVID swab Leonardo DiCaprio's nose. She said he smelled good. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> nevertheless, we, we told the lady that yesterday, and she, that woman, oh my goodness, are you serious? Like, we put these celebrities up on stages that are silly. But the movie is fascinating. It's a true story about these men who came to the Osage and would marry these Native American women and then kill them for their head rights. And one of the quotes that Leonardo DiCaprio's character kept saying over and over again is, I love money! I love money! I want money! Sounded a lot like Kenneth Copeland, um, the TV evangelist. But he, he'd always, all right, I love money. And then one servant, he was having a conversation with his evil uncle. And he said, Well, uncle, I'll tell you, I, I love money almost as much as I love my new wife. And we find out later in the, in the movie that he, his love for money is greater than his love for his own wife. This, this is it's poison. It's poison. Loving and longing for money, power, sex, title, position, whatever it is, will end up destroying you. But if you have a love for Christ and a longing to want to know Christ more intimately, that is the only thing that is going to satisfy and cultivate and stir your affections towards something that's good. And we see that some, that, what's the verse say in verse 10? We've seen that some have already fallen into this trap in verse 10. They've chased something that, thought, that they thought would ultimately give them what they really want. But it ends up giving them great grief. It ends up giving them great sorrow. But they they looked at the thing that they thought they wanted and they said, this is what I really need. I really need to get a hold of this. I really need to chase this thing. I really need to get a hold of this thing. And then they get it. And they're like, wait a minute, that's not amazing. That's not what I thought it was going to be. It's actually caused me more sorrow than it did satisfaction. And if you're chasing godliness, that's not going to be the case. If if you have to be filled with great sorrow and grief to get these things at the end, that's not gonna, that's not gonna bring satisfaction. But Christ, when you chase him and want to long for godliness. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And the, it, Paul gives a training scenario, an athletic training scenario, a militaristic training scenario. He says, train yourself in godliness. That was just a couple of weeks ago in 1 Timothy, where he's telling Timothy, train yourself up, get yourself immersed, fuse yourself into godliness because it has a value right now and for the life to come. So he says, here, if you're chasing godliness, it's going to delight you. It's going to satisfy you. It's going to stir you up to want to do things better in your life. That's the calling. The challenge and the question is not how to build your dream business and get it where it needs to be. The challenge and the question of today is, will you lay down the things of the world? Will you repent of your sins? Change directions. We've, we've been talking about this word repent a lot lately. Mm. And repent just means a change of direction, a change of desire. I want to be different and I want to change my direction. That's what repentance means. A change of heart, a change of mind, a change of direction. And when you become a Christian, your allegiances change. You're no longer allegiant to the things of the world and yourself in fact, you take death to yourself. Jesus tells us that. If you want to be my disciple, here's what you got to do. Take up your cross. right? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. That means not only deny yourself, but drag your desires into the street and kill them. And then follow me. That means be obedient. So the challenge for us this morning, and the question is, will you lay down the things of the world, the things you want... Follow Christ, change directions, repent of your sins, and trust and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you trust the gospel, the finished work of Christ on Calvary's cross that will save and redeem you and bring you ultimate satisfaction? That's the the goal. That's the reason we do these. Why do you go to church? What's the point of the church? The church is to be the the megaphone of God's word saying, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. That's the hope. Amen? Amen. That's that's what we're longing for. Mm -hmm. And if there's something that has been blocking you from having a real authentic, genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. today is the day to lay it down. Today is the day to lay that down and Mm -hmm. say, Jesus, I want you more than I want anything else. I want you more than I want my stuff, more than I want the position, more than I want the title, more than I want the money, more than I want the power. I want you because here's the thing. At the end of the day, everything belongs to God anyways. Every dime you make, God gave you the abilities and the strength to be able to make that money. Right? He gave you the the resources in your brain to be able to do the things you do. And the cognitive skills to be able to create and and build and make. Right? God did all these things. The finished work of Calvary... Mm -hmm is is what is going to bring satisfaction the gospel will you trust the gospel people say well caleb what is the gospel help me with that what is the gospel i'm glad you asked the gospel is this the death burial and resurrection of the lord jesus christ on calvary's cross out of the grave for those that would believe he died was in the tomb for three days and was raised for our justification. Justification just means just as if I'd never sinned. So now I have a position in Christ. Because of what Christ did, I have a position that I have a right standing with the God of the universe. The God of the universe now looks at Caleb Gordon. Doesn't see Caleb, but he sees Christ in Caleb. So therefore, I get the benefits of Christ being in me. I get those benefits. I'm a king's kid. I get adopted in. I'm a king's kid with all of the amenities and the blessings and the beauty of being a king's kid. You want to talk about being rich? Bro, I'm rich. And it's not my bank account. You know what it is? It's my eternal home. It's my eternal position in Christ. I get to be with Jesus. I think of that old Gaither song. He has a dream that he's died and gone to heaven. He sees Moses, he sees Paul, he sees Peter, he sees all these people, and he just says, But I want to see Jesus. And it holds that big long crescendo. Such a great song. I, I bowed my knee and sang, Holy, holy, holy. I get to see Jesus. There's coming a day. You're going to have two reactions when you see Christ. It's either going to be, oh me, uh-oh. <laughs> or it's going to be, I've been waiting. This is it. This is it. ha yes. As my mother laid in the hospital, dying of cancer. She said, like, I can't wait. To see Jesus. She got all. Listen, don't wait till you're on your deathbed to get your affairs in order. Get your affairs in order now. Get your heart right with Christ now. Repent of your sins and trust the gospel now. And if there's something that has been blocking you from that kind of relationship, today could be your Independence Day. The ultimate, forget 4th of July. Yeah, yeah. The, the day when you're set free and bro- from the brokenness and the wickedness and the chains of sin and you're now set free to be able to walk in Christ and newness of life the way, and do the things you ought to do rather than what you want to do. And listen, yourself will always lead. self will always lead you to a position of, of slavery. Christ will always lead you in a position of Freedom. And listen, Scripture is very clear. You're going to be a slave regardless. You're either a slave to sin and self that leads to destruction, or you're a slave, a bondservant to Christ that leads to freedom, joy, and satisfaction. I don't know anybody who's followed the Lord Jesus Christ for decades and decades out on their deathbed go, Golly, I can't believe I followed Christ so much. I don't know anybody, but on the other hand, I do know people that did everything else in life, and they're like, golly, I have so many regrets. I have done so many evil things. I wish I had it to do over again so I could change direction. Now, that doesn't mean you can't repent and change your direction on your deathbed, but I'm asking you not to do that. Find joy now. Find satisfaction now. Everyone that I know that loved Jesus well on their deathbed. Man, it was a sweet, tender going. It wasn't a, I'm scared. It was, I can't wait to see my Savior. I can't wait to see King Jesus. And listen, all of us are going to see King Jesus one day. And there's going to come a day, Scripture tells us, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. Hitler, Stalin, Donald Trump, Caleb Gordon, you name it, everyone will put a knee on the ground and their their mouth will utter, Christ is Lord. But if you're not in Christ here and now in this life, by that time it's too late. That's the white throne judgment. So what's the what's the calling? If if you're here today and you don't know who Jesus is, I would call you to repent of your sins. Here's the invitation. You say, okay, are you giving an invitation? Yeah, I am. Here's the invitation. I'm going to be standing at that back door today. I'm going to shake your hands. I'm going to hug you. I'm going to tell you I love you because I do. I love you. I want you to know who Jesus is and I want you to follow him. And if you're here today and you're saying, if the Holy Spirit has stirred anything up in you, you're like, man, I think I need to get right with the Lord. Mm. Grab me. We got nice. Thank you, Pam. We got nice, cushiony chairs in the Sunday school room. In there, we could sit in there. I'll open the Bible and I'll tell you all about who Jesus is. Amen. And listen, I can't. I'm not the guy. I, listen, I can't save you. Caleb Gordon, the pastor of First Baptist Church, cannot save you. I can barely. I barely know how to turn my phone on. I can't save you, but I know the guy that can. I know the guy that can save you and I can point you to him and say, Jesus saves! Get over there! Get on. Get in the camp with Christ! Christ can save you. Christ will save you. How do I know that? Because His Word tells us that He will. First John nine tells us and promises if you confess your sins, He, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness. Like... This is I, we, I shared this with our our young young bucks not too long ago. First John chapter two. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So God's desire is that we don't sin. That's the desire, right? But but. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Christ Jesus the righteous. Christ is our advocate who says, He's mine, she's mine, I've forgiven them, I've set them free. If you've sinned, you can bring your sins to the foot of Calvary's cross and say, Jesus, I want to be set free. I want to be saved. And He'll do it. Oh, yes. And if, how do I know that? Number one, God's Word. But number two, you're looking at one. You're looking at a guy that's been set free from my past and my sin. And listen, there was a bunch. Anybody else? Okay, oh look, I mean, I'm mean, i in the right room. All right. Room a whole bunch of messed up people. Praise the Lord. But how many of us have been set free from it? Come on. Praise God. That's what I'm talking about. Well, I love you all. I can't believe we're already in November. Yes, I'm playing Christmas music. What? Shh. shh, shh, shh.